Welcome back to the show, and welcome back inside the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studio. It's GVP and Shan along with you. Wet Basement, we have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. It's a Calgary Flames game day. Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson will have the call. Puck drop set for 8 o'clock. Flames and the Anaheim Ducks. It's going to be the first time these two teams match up. And to talk about tonight's opposition, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to the pregame and postgame host for the Anaheim Ducks. Her name is Alexis Downey. Alexis, how's uh, today going? Thanks for giving us some time today. Yeah, it's going good so far. Thank you. Um, it's we're we're gonna be getting ready for an optional skate here this morning, but so far so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what is the general vibe around this Ducks team going into the holidays here? I know that they got off to a good start, but they've hit a little bit of tough times here with the injury bug and all of that. What's kind of the the general feeling around this team as we approach this game? Yeah, I went to practice yesterday, and I felt like the guys were in pretty good spirits, honestly. Um, you know, they went two and two on their recent road trip out east, uh, so they were definitely feeling good about getting those last two wins. Uh, I think it's been definitely like obviously they faced a lot of it, faced a lot of adversity, um, and it has been difficult, but they have been taking the good in what they've been doing in their play and bringing it, you know, night in and night out. So I think that there is still a little bit of optimism, especially having gotten those recent two wins on the end of the trip. I want to start with some of the positives for this Ducks team as well. As this season, like I mentioned, they're still going through that kind of rebuilding, retooling transition phase of this organization, whatever you want to call that. And I wanted to start with the man who's been filling the net for this team. Frankie Vetrano has been an amazing uh, addition for this team, 14 goals on the year, and it seems like he's been fitting in perfectly perfectly there. What what can you tell me about him and his game? Yeah, I think he has just really shown out this season in, in his second year with the Ducks. Um, he's got that goal-scoring mentality, and you see it every night that he steps on the ice. He just competes so hard. Um, and originally, to start the season, his line was playing so well. The chemistry was really there between him, McTavish, and Strom. Um, but then, obviously, with McTavish having been out the last couple games, things have kind of changed around. And there was a little bit of a, a dry spot in their in their point production. So they have kind of changed up the lines for Vitrano. And as of late, he's been playing on a line with uh, Adam Henrique and Brett Leeson. And the three of them... I've been playing well together, and, I mean, you continue to see Frank getting on the board, and I, I just think he's he's in a good place this year, and I think he's exceeding expectations in a sense, but definitely knew coming into the year that with this being his second season with the Ducks that he was going to, you know, to kind of build off of what he did last year. So um, it, it's been great to see him step up, especially in the absence of a guy like uh, Trevor Zegers too. Uh, you mentioned uh, Mason McTavish there. Is, any, is there any timetable on his return? Uh, no, there's not, unfortunately. All we know is that he is very close. Um, he was skating yesterday, but uh, non-contact. So not really sure when he's going to return. But, I mean, the Ducks have eight, eight home games around the holidays. So hopefully it'll be one of those games. And just more on McTavish there. We, uh, we had Dennis Bernstein join us earlier on in the program. And he was talking about how he might be the oldest young player he's ever seen. It feels like he just plays with a lot of maturity, and, and that's been really huge for this Ducks team to have him kind of locked up in that number two center spot. 
Yeah, absolutely. He's he's such a hockey guy. I, I honestly forget how young he is still sometimes, too, when I talk to him because he's a leader, to be honest. I yeah. mean, you go in a locker room, you can tell just how respected he is. And, um, you know, first one on the ice, last one off the ice consistently every day at practice. He always just wants to get better. Uh, head coach Greg Cronin likes to call him a bulldog, and you kind of see that in just the way he plays and just, just the way he is. Um, he's just all all business all the time, but definitely someone that the guys like in the locker room too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he has certainly been a big part of the Ducks team so far this season, and we've missed him in the lineup as of late. We're in conversation with Alexis Downey, the pregame and postgame host for the Anaheim Ducks, also does some content creation for them as well right here on 960 The Fan. Uh, I'm GVP, and he's Shin. Uh, Alexis, I want to I go rapid fire a little bit with, with some of the guys on this team because I feel like there's some some very interesting storylines and dynamics uh, with this Ducks team. And, you know, we're talking about Mason McTavish, and Alex Kalorn, uh, obviously new to this team, has he had an impact on, on Mason McTavish? Obviously both uh, big forwards, but what, what has he meant to McTavish in this team? Yeah, I think Alex Kalorn has... Really, I mean, he knew coming into the into the season and into the year with the Ducks that he was going to have to be a leader to the group. That was one of the reasons that Pat Verbeek brought him in. But I, I think that he has been, especially as of late. Mostly, though, I would honestly say with Leo Carlson because he has been playing alongside him more of. Um, you can see that they've been building a lot of chemistry. And actually, it was pretty cool when Kalorn netted his 200th career goal. Uh, a part of that was Pavel Mintikov, the rookie, and then also... I'm thinking, I believe, oh, now I'm forgetting who the other one was. I believe it, I believe it was Leo, too. That was a part of that goal. And when he posted about it, you know, he had them alongside him in the photo because they, you know, they were a part of that goal. Yeah. So I, I just think in general, he's been a great leader to the locker room. Um, and I, I haven't necessarily seen him converse as much with McTavish, but I'm sure that that has been there, especially you know, with, with the positions that they're both in. So Okay. Um, and, and, yeah, those are actually two players I want to talk about next. Uh, Leo Carlson, start with him. I, I've been a fan of him for, for a few years. Um, you know, his days when he was playing 16, you could just clearly see he was a standout. But uh, Leo Carlson's been on somewhat of a, of a games restriction. I'm a little confused. Can you, can you catch me up on that, why he hasn't played a, a full season so far? Yeah, so our general manager, Pat Verbeek, mm-hmm. decided that he wanted to work with Leo on a development plan this season, and that was something that he sat down with Leo and his agent, and they all agreed to it. Basically, he would just use game days and uh, you know use them more as strength days. Some days he would sit out for certain games uh, for this first half of the season in order to build for the second half of the season so that he's – physically, mentally, all of that completely ready to go. Um, And I think it honestly just stems from the fact that he is so young and it's such a big transition to the NHL. Uh, Pat Verbeek just wanted to take a different approach with it. And um, he has been pretty tight-lipped about the exact parts of what goes into it. But we do know that he's up to playing three games a week now as a part of that plan. And um, from here, it's supposed to continue to build and should probably be seeing him in every game during the second half of the season. Um, but, yeah, I think it's been actually really beneficial for Leo in some aspects because, you know, it, you see him come in and it's like he hasn't missed a beat. So, um, and, and the other guy that we – I just have two more here. Pavel Mitnikov, 
has been a, a standout for me on, on that blue line. And uh, I'm just you know taking a look at his stats. He's got 17 points in 31 games here, but he's shooting it just four percent so you know once once that comes back up to the mean this guy could be a a big point guy but um was this expected from him coming into you know early on in his career the 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 stellar plays had so far i i don't think anyone expected him to necessarily blossom as much as he has this year uh but i i know that obviously you know he was chosen for a reason the ducks saw something in him and he had a really successful junior career so I think the fact that it's translated so well so quickly to the NHL has been the biggest surprise. Um, he just he just shows so much confidence on the ice night in and night out, and I think it helps that he's really comfortable with his line mate, Ilya Labushkin. Um, I know that they get to speak Russian off the ice, and on the ice they're speaking English together, so I okay. think that has probably helped his transition a little bit too. But, yeah, he, he's certainly been a, a surprise for me, someone that, um, I, he was obviously one of the, the rookies I was keeping my eye on this season, but the fact that he has done so well, um, it, it's it's been a bit of a surprise, I would say. And the last guy that I want to talk about, it seems like he's been in the conversation for about three years now, is John Gibson. Obviously a, a great goaltender for this team, but with, with the direction the Ducks are heading and some of the other teams that are looking for a goalie, what are you expecting to see in, uh, in terms of a John Gibson trade or if he stays? Yeah, I, I think that the Ducks want to keep him um, based on everything I've talked with, uh, you know, Pat Verbeek and Greg Cronin a little bit too about about it. Um, you know, after the summer, I know there was all those things swirling around, especially with him. But Pat Verbeek told us that he had a conversation with John Gibson and his agent and, you know, they, they want him here in Anaheim. They want him to be the number one goaltender and, you know, to be ready when this team is ready um, to compete. So I, I think that, you know, there's, there has been a lot of talk about that, but it seems from my understanding that the Ducks really do want him to be a part of the plan and continue to be here in Anaheim. Okay. Uh, Alexis, I know that a lot of the discussion and conversation around this Ducks team is centered around these young, exciting pieces, and, and rightfully so. But tell me about some of the other veteran players on this roster, some guys like Radko Gudis or Alex Kalorn that, you know, have championship experience. Gudis with Florida, you know, going to the cup final, Kalorn with Tampa Bay. How, how important have those guys been to kind of take these younger players under their wing? Yeah, they've been really huge in that, and especially Radko Gudis. Um, he's he's been someone that the Ducks fans have really come to love very quickly. You know, I mean, he's one of those guys you want on your team, not playing against. So he has been a huge part in that. And I mean, we even saw that in the game the other night against Detroit when um, Lukas Jostal was hit by Clem Costin. Later in the game, you know, Gudis had a pretty big hit on Costin and. I can imagine that, you know, he, he has been pretty protective over Dostal because actually uh, Dostal lived with Gudis earlier in, in the year during camp. So I think he's just kind of taken over a, a fatherly role to some of these younger guys. And um, and same with Kalorn, except I think it's in just a little bit of a different way. Um, he, Kalorn's a little bit quieter, I would say, overall. Um, but the guys have so much respect for him because of, you know, his championship caliber that he brings in to the Ducks team and um, I I think overall it has been a really good culture shift this season in the locker room Um, and that's really been noticeable 
even when the team was losing, um, the leadership in the locker room and just the overall attitude day in and day out, it just, it, it seemed like it was very stable compared to, you know, last season, I think back to last season when it, it was, there was some tough times for the team. Yeah. Um, it was a lot different. So. Uh, Got to ask you as well about a player, you know, who's kind of had a bit of a struggling start. He's only, he's dealt with the injury bug as well. Uh, Trevor Zegras, what, what have you made of his start? And is, is his struggles or slow start to this season as simple as, as confidence with him and, and just being a young player and trying to, you know, elevate his game to that superstar status in the NHL? It's interesting with Trevor Zegras because a, a lot of the conversation has been centered around, you know, his lower point production this season than obviously with him being out. But one of the things that in him coming back this year and getting that contract signed was he, there was an emphasis on working on his defensive game. So I, I think that that has kind of offset some of his offensive game. Uh, but obviously there is that frustration from him. You, I, I've seen it uh, just in that he wants he wants to be contributing more. Um, and then once he was injured and now he's been out for a little bit, um, he, he hasn't been a part of the games yet. So there's definitely that frustration from him just wanting to be back a part of the team and um, playing night in and night out. So uh, when he does come back, as he still is skating with the team non-contact, just like McTavish, um, I, I am hoping that we do see a, maybe a resurgence. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of season left, but, yeah, I think there has been a lot of frustration for him personally this season, and it, it certainly has been a little difficult for the team too. Alexis, thanks for taking some time tonight. Uh, enjoy the game tonight, and uh, hopefully we'll do this again too soon when these two teams meet. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks Thanks a lot. There you go. That was Alexis Downey, the pregame and postgame host and a content creator for the Anaheim Ducks. And, of course, she joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline just a little preview for flames and ducks puck drop at eight o'clock shan shan what do you uh expect in tonight's game really well we've seen the flames play some really really good teams over the last two three weeks and they've i i thought they fared pretty well some of the games that they lost uh they didn't play that bad and i, I think back to the two games against colorado especially that six five game you were up on colorado for 50 minutes in that game yeah and and they ended up just taking over because of pure talent. It is what it is. But this is your first game against a, uh, I don't want to call them a really bad team, but against a team that. Like anyone can beat anyone in the NHL, but if the Flames have playoff hopes or aspirations of getting into that wild card spot and really taking a command of that spot, these are the teams you got to beat. Absolutely. Like the Ducks are in, are in a transitional phase, as we just mentioned with Alexis Downey. They do got some good, exciting players, but they're dealing with a bunch of injuries as well. So Flames are playing some good hockey here, had a good game against the Florida Panthers there. That's a team that's that's really solid as well. So yeah. can't be playing down to the competition of the Anaheim Ducks here. And that that's something that this Flames team has done over the over the last couple of years. A long. Look look at look at last season for example. Yeah. Like Flames lose three games to the Chicago Blackhawks last year. That's it. You win one or two of those, you're in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's true. It's it's been the. I would go further than just a couple of years. I think it's been a thing for five, six years, except for the one team that made it to the second round a couple of years ago. It's almost a Flames identity. We, we've talked about this before, but it, this is this is a really big game for this team. And you know, they talk. You talk about the injuries. Mason McTavish is out, and he has been arguably their best player with Frank Vitrano. And um, we've seen Vitrano's numbers drop. 
uh, with McTavish out, and I know that because I have both of them in fantasy, mm-hmm. so that's really hurting. Um, I, it, the Ducks are always somewhat fun to watch. I feel like they have a lot of skill. You're going to see... They've been more fun to watch this season than, than anything oh, else. Oh, for sure. But, but Pavel Mitnikov is a special player. I'm, I'm excited to see some of these young guys tonight, but I, I am also fully expecting a, a, a Flames win. And like like Peter Klein said, uh, once it's 4 nothing, we'll go to bed, hopefully. Like I said, Flames and Ducks will go at 8 o'clock tonight. Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson will have the pregame show at 7 o'clock. Steinberg also on our airwaves here at 960 at 4 for another edition of Flames Talk. Uh, it was an off day for the Calgary Flames yesterday. Practice went down. But uh, let's hear from uh, Ryan Huska, who spoke to the media yesterday after practice. Ryan, your couple games, uh, or one game, I think, under 500. What, how much does that benchmark mean to you when you have a chance here to go 500 before Christmas? I think it's important. Um, we have to keep finding ways to win games, and our job now is to try to chase the teams down that are in front of us. So um, by doing that, it'll allow us to get to that 500 mark. Uh, our play over the last little while has been improved, so we just have to make sure we keep that for these two games before Christmas. Have a guy like Chris Tanev come back in the lineup. Uh, how does that make a guy like Noah Hannafin's life slash job easier? I, I think it allows Noah to feel like he's got a little bit more freedom to be able to join the play at times, to be able to get moving around in the offensive zone. And if he were to get himself caught or out of position, Chris would cover him off. And I think they have the relationship now too, where Noah feels very comfortable if Chris um, provides him feedback, and the same thing the other way around. So both of them are really good with each other in regards to how they they communicate with each other. But I, I think it's more about a, a safety thing that Noah knows that if I do make a mistake, more than likely Chris is there to back him up. What kind of confidence are you seeing Jacob Markstrom instill in the group when there is a turnover, a high danger yeah. chance against? He's sitting at eight fifty five high danger save percentage yeah. here, which is about sixty above league average. Yeah, that's uh, a real big thing for your team you know when you there's certain points of a game where you lose momentum um, and if your players know that if there's a mistake that gets made a lot like we just talked about with Chris and Noah that someone's there to back you up and when the players know that their goaltender's on and he's feeling good about his game he's going to stop a lot of those shots that we don't want to be giving up Um, but right from the beginning of the year he's been that guy for us so it allows the team to play uh, feel you know, confident in front of him that if there were a mistake, that there's a pretty good chance he's going to bail him out. We, we asked you earlier about Connor and his time in the American League, but what about you as a coach? Like, what did you learn or how did you develop getting down there and riding the bus for a few years? Um, a lot. I mean, the American League's a great league for all sorts of people, right from uh, the trainers that we have here now. Um, our strength coach spent time down there. Um, you learn how to work with professional hockey players depending on where you come from, of course. Um, you have a lot of older players that are still wanting to play in the NHL. Some of them are on their way out of the game. Um, so you learn how to work with those type of players as well as the importance of developing young guys. So you spend a lot of time um, thinking of ways where you can make a player like Connor Zari better and allow him to be ready for his opportunity at the next level, even though you know that, geez, if I put him out in this situation, uh, he might not be ready for it, and this mistake might cost us a game. I think that's part of learning in the American League. And coaches, players, trainers, it's its kind of all the same. What's your uh, what's your philosophy on block shots in terms of the balance and how necessary they are and how and, and the amount that you want in a game? Yeah, they're necessary without a doubt. I mean, if you want to be a team that wins at the, the important time of the year, you have to have guys that are committed to sacrifice for their teammates, and that's a it's a real big thing with the way some of these guys shoot nowadays. The balance is if you're blocking a lot of shots, you don't have the puck enough. And, you know, when you look at our game against Florida, we were spending too much time in our own zone. So 
Um, you like the structure that we had, but we have to do a better job of once we get the puck, we have to complete our next play to get out because I don't think you can rely on the shot blocking um, consistently, but there's certain times in a game where you have to have it, and our guys have shown a real good job over the last little while of being willing to eat pucks for their teammates. Does your heart kind of skip a beat when you see a guy like Tanev do that game after game? He had 10 the other night. Like- not, not with him. It's funny because he knows how to do it. Uh, he Over the years, he's learned how to put his body in the right spot, so most times he's getting hit where he should be hit. Um, so he knows the positioning in regards to where he is based on where the goalie and the goal is. And any area that he's probably been hit in before when he's doing that, he's got extra padding in those areas. So I don't worry about Chris because he has a real good understanding of, of how to place his body to keep him out of harm's way. Kind of to your point, you're not always like uh, going to be... It's, there's gonna have, you're going to have nights where you do spend more time mm-hmm. in your own zone. How have you liked the way that your group has defended when you've had to and, and kept teams to the outside? Hey, we're, it's, it's getting better. I mean, at the beginning of the year, we were a little bit all over the place in our own zone, trying to pick up some new things. Um, our, our structure positioning is much better where we feel like we have the inside taken care of a little bit more than we did before. The The next step of it is making sure it's the competitive side where when you're in a one-on-one for a puck battle, we have to find a way to win those more often. Um, and then once we do get it, as I mentioned earlier, it's about completing that next play so we don't have to spend extra time in our own zone. Have you over the years uh, been concerned just going into the, a holiday break that guy's heads may not be in the right spot. I used to hate it junior time, I can tell you that much, because yeah. they were most definitely, but I don't, I don't. for my time up here, I, I feel like they're pros and they understand the season, they understand the time of the year, and, and they make sure they're ready for these games. So um, typically, also with the situation that we're in, there's there's importance on these games. So um, we have to make sure we're ready to play, but I don't, I don't, or I haven't really felt that way at this level. Have you guys talked about a goal in terms of where you want to be coming back from these two? Uh, we have different things that we follow for sure along the way. Yeah. You guys have Anaheim coming up on Friday, and they're a group that have shown to kind of be a little bit streaky and can really upset teams. What uh, what are you expecting from them, and what do you guys need to do to keep rolling and build on how you play? Yeah, a very hardworking team. I mean, that's one thing that we know for sure that we're going to see from them, but I, I do still feel like this is about our team, and we have to make sure we're doing things the right way. So as much as you prepare for your opponent, you know what their tendencies are, uh, we have to be really good at what we're trying to do if we want to have success. How have you seen Elias Lindholm handle, like you're playing him a minute more than he's ever played in his career on average. How have you seen him handle that workload? I think he's done a, a good job with it. There's there's certain days where we would have probably liked to him, offered him a maintenance day, if you want to call it that. Um, but there's also been times when we've thought about it where he says, no, I want to skate. Because sometimes when you're, you're playing more, even just getting on the ice for a little bit of a, a lighter skate at times, it makes the body feel pretty good. So... Um, it's a, it's a lot of minutes, and the, the challenge that we have with him is those minutes are heavy. Against top lines, there's penalty kill, there's power play. He kind of does everything for us, so we as coaches do have to do a, a job of managing his, his time off the ice as well. It's easy for everyone to look at the dip in offensive yeah. numbers with him, but do, do the minutes speak to what he's giving your group? He's, he's funny. Well, not funny, but you know we expect him to generate offense for us, um, but he's also a guy that we expect to play against top lines. So his 200-foot game is... is is right up there in the league, in our opinion, the way he plays the game. Um, when you're a, a pure offensive guy, a lot of times coaches will start you in the offensive zone on face-offs, but in Lindy's situation, like you can use an example like the New Jersey game. Every face-off in the defensive zone that Hughes was on the ice, so was Lindy. So that takes away a little bit of his offensive ability because he's not in those situations. We have to trust him in other areas as well.
what have you seen out of your power play play? You look like you've been practicing it the yeah. past few days. What, where do you want to see it grow the most? Um, well, it, it it has to have impact, you know, and that's the the biggest thing for us. That um, maybe shifting mentality a little bit on it, but I guess getting the players to understand that they're all good players and they're on there for a reason too. So move the puck around with confidence, be quick with what they're going to try to do and shoot the puck. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. So it's a privilege to be on a power play, and I think sometimes you have to treat it that way as well. Like, like, would you consider another personnel change? Like, how does sure. the coach try Yeah, to just like we have over this last little while, we would for sure. Are yeah. you going to start Gilbert in the shootout, or is he going to be your third guy? <laughs> yeah, you ask him, he'd bet you 100 bucks that he'd score all the time. He's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Good, I could use yeah. the cash. Yeah. There he goes, head coach Ryan Huska speaking to the media yesterday after practice. And I want to dive into a little bit of some stuff that Coach Huska said in that little media scrum there. First off, he's talked about the return of Jacob Markstrom, and I also want to throw Chris Tanev into that loop as well. When, when we saw the Flames go on that little bit of a losing streak over the last you know week or so, playing against some really solid teams, shootout loss to the Wild, uh, overtime loss to the Golden Knights, a loss to the Avalanche, and a loss to the... Uh, New Jersey Devils. That was all during that stretch of games where uh, Jacob Markstrom was dealing with that uh, that finger injury, and then we saw Chris Tanev go down with that uh, upper body injury. Was it in the uh, Colorado game, I believe? But uh, those are two big pieces that for the Flames that kind of set the tone for them. You know, from a structure standpoint, it feels like they have a lot more confidence, or they've just felt more comfortable with Jacob Markstrom in the net this season. He's arguably been their best player all year, and then on the blue line. What what can you, what else can you say about Chris Tanev? He's just been their rock on the blue line all all year, and he's just been their warrior. And, and really, they need those two guys if they want to continue to kick around that playoff spot, right? Well, we saw it two years ago when they made it to the second round. Jacob Markstrom was a Vesna finalist, and Chris Tanev was was on top of it. And then he goes he goes down late in that Dallas series uh, with the shoulder injury, and then the start of the Edmonton series. There was clearly something missing, and it was it was Chris Tanev. He's I mean he's one of the best defensive defensemen in the league. I don't know how you can argue that really. He's he's uh, he, he's so solid in his own end. I mean ten block shots the last game, and then going back to Jacob Markstrom, we saw him as a Vesna finalist, and then the next year we saw him letting in a lot of soft goals, and and he wasn't. You needed more from him last year for sure. Absolutely. If if the Flames had league average goaltending, they would have made the playoffs. That's that's it's pretty hard to argue and and to see Markstrom get back to it this year and, and we've talked about it before if this team is going to scratch and claw their way to a wild card spot Markstrom is going to be leading that train we we know that um he's been playing great and and, and both those two guys I'd like to thank Vancouver for letting uh letting Calgary have them um super I mean, important Vancouver's to this team. doing all right with Demko though yeah i mean he's been awesome we'll we'll get to that later at the bottom of the hour and get into those canadian power rankings but yeah well markstrom essentially taught demko that that was a demko was it was a young goalie that had some struggles and markstrom was that that solidified guy that they're like hey watch how this dude handles things and watch watch how he competes and yeah demko is phenomenal he he's been so good this year and and for sure a vesna candidate if not the leading guy if, if you're just looking at the numbers for Jacob Markstrom, nothing really jumps off the page for you but just because the, the Flames have been what they've been this season. Yeah. They've, you know, let, let in more goals than, than what they scored. They're sitting at a minus 14 goal differential right now. Markstrom's at a 901 save percentage, 283 goals against average. Those are 
pretty good numbers for for a team that's right in around that middle of the pack area that the Flames constantly find themselves in. But when you just watch the games, there's no denying that Jacob Markstrom has been leaps and bounds better than what he was last season. Absolutely. And the eye test is a very real thing. I, st- I stand by that. The eye test is is equally as important as the stats, if not more. He's been he's been really good this year. And it's not like he he does have to make some 10-bell saves all the time. Uh, not all the time, but he has to make some here and there. But when he is calm and collected and and not, you know, playing the puck, uh, so you know, some risky plays behind the net or 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 out of position and scrambling, he he's looked really solid and, and his positioning's been great and and he's just been that number one goalie that we've seen so many times from him. Yeah, Flames and Ducks goes at eight tonight. Uh, one other thing that Huska was talking, well, two other things actually, but that he was talking there. Mm-hmm. Flames are taking on the Anaheim Ducks here. And they're a team that, that's been struggling a lot as of late. And Matt and Peter were talking about earlier today on the big show about how um, the Flames really haven't had a game in the last couple of while where they could kind of, they, they were calling it a laugher, I guess, but they really didn't have a game where they just outright dominated a team. And if there is a game that I could see on the schedule over the next coming weeks, it's this one right here. And Huska was talking about doing the little things right. And that's what the Flames need to do in this contest. Get off to a good start. They're playing in a building that historically hasn't treated them well in in the Honda Center out in Anaheim. So got to do the little things right as a collective unit. This is a team, like I keep saying over and over, they're devoid of a superstar. It's going to be a score-by-committee type approach for the Flames all season. They need to have a big, solid play, a consistent 60 minutes, and really set the tone for the for the break here. Well, doing the little, you have to do the little things right when you play such good teams. And that's what they've done for the last few weeks. So if you somehow forget that coming into this game, I, I don't see how this team can succeed. Like you've built so much, I, I'll say momentum. You've built so much momentum with the way that you've played as a group, despite the injuries, despite um, anything else that's going on off the ice. You've built that momentum and to let it slip against the Anaheim Ducks would be just it would be killing uh, a killer to this team. So so yeah, I, I I completely agree with him. It's it's not this isn't going to be an easy game. No games in the NHL are easy, but if you do the little things right like you have against Colorado, Tampa Bay, Florida, whatever, I don't really see how you can lose this. Right. And and kind of building off a whole theme of the little things and, and making sure you're playing simple hockey. That's what they need to do on this power play here. Oh. I just feel like they're trying to force way too much, and Huska mentioned it in that scrum there. He just wants them to be impactful because they've almost been Everybody a net ne- they've been a net negative for this team almost all season long. I, I know if you want to talk about about special teams as a whole here, the penalty kill has been dynamic, and they're scoring a lot of shorthanded goals and all that. But good teams have good power plays, and the Flames simply just don't have that right now. When you when the gap between the shorthanded goals and the power play goals for your team is not actually that great. That's a serious, serious problem, and, and there's I know there's a lot of people talking about Mark Savard, and is he the problem? I, I think Mark Savard, we saw him as a player, he's an offensive genius. He really was, and I I don't think he's the problem here because the players aren't moving. I I don't think part of his strategy is is to keep everything stagnant. I really don't believe that. I don't know what to do with this power play. It's very confusing, and I, I will say the last game they played. Uh, I liked I liked having Zary and Lindholm, Sharon Govich, and I, I've seen Hannafin move really well on the power play, and and Anderson uh, has always been great on the power play. But but th- what I've seen from Lindholm and Sharon Govich and and Zary, if that's the top mm-hmm. line, 
I wasn't I wasn't that upset with what I saw. I actually did see a little bit of movement, which is a miracle. The the one thing I think about the power play is that uh, I did like they avoided that that whole bump play coming in on the entry on the power play. You don't play. like that. I just, I just don't like it for this team. Yeah, no. I just don't like it for this team. It works for a lot of other teams, but I just don't think the Flames have that one guy where he can necessarily he doesn't have an, the, the Flames don't have enough speed from one player or enough shiftiness from one player to where that yeah. that play becomes super successful for this team. Also, if the Flames are having so much dysfunction on this power play, but they're five-on-five five play, we're starting to see a bit more chemistry between Lindholm, Sharon Govich, Mangiapane's still looking to figure it out, but he's showing flashes on that line. But there's no doubt that there's been connections between Kadri, uh, Zeri, and, and Pospisil. My theory is why not try and keep some of those lines together once you get to five-on-four, Yeah, right? That, that's an interesting point, and, and I haven't put much thought into that because you don't see teams do that that often. I know, you, you just think, but like, nothing's worked for this power play. I'm just trying to think of something. Well, I, I, I quite like that idea because it, it's it's as simple as the Zeri kadri Pospisil line has been the best line on the Flames, for mm-hmm. sure. So give them a chance with, with, with four defenders. I, yeah, and I then quite like that idea. Like, have those three up there out front, and then you're going to want to give Hubert up. Power play looks as, you know, I don't want to do this whole Huberto topic. We know what he has been this yeah. season for the Calgary Flames. But if you have him in kind of like a blue line spot, line him up on the blue line, and then it turns into that whole umbrella structure that the Flames have been running. He ends up on the half wall move, trying to make plays from there. Yeah. And then, you know, Weir at the top trying to get some more shots through that he's been doing all season. I feel like that could be a decent unit for a first-line power play. Yeah, and, I mean, listen, if you if you put that Huberto line out there, Coleman's been producing. Yeah, Backlund, Backlund scored in the last game. I, 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 I quite like this idea. I haven't put a lot of thought. Your into second, it. your second unit would be like Zary, uh, Lindholm, and uh, you know Sharon Govich. Mm-hmm. And then you probably likely have like Anders, Anderson and Hannafin there. Anderson might be on the first unit as well. But yeah. I'm just throwing some names. Hannafin's but. starting to play really well too. Mm-hmm. I, I think this I, might be his best season as Calgary Flame. Yeah, he looks good out there. He's, I mean, he's always been a great skater. This year, it just it's. It's awesome watching him fly around the ice and and especially on the power play because that is much needed. So yeah, I've been I've been happy with Hannafin so far. And I mean, if there's any team to get your power play going against, it's probably this Ducks team. It'll be interesting to see Flames coming off two wins in a row over the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers. They're taking on the Anaheim Ducks tonight. Puck drop at eight o'clock. Steinberg will have the pregame show at seven. We're gonna take a quick break here. Around the corner, going to be doing a segment that you've heard somewhat often here, as I've done it with Patrick Dumas before, but uh, going to get into the Canadian team power rankings. That's next. Keep it locked. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Welcome back. It's GBP and Shan, live in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio on a Wednesday. Tis the season to give Calgary, so we're asking you to share in the spirit of giving with our friends at the Mustard Seed. Now more than ever, it's time to support those experiencing poverty and homelessness in Calgary. New underwear, socks, jackets, boots, gloves, razors, toothbrushes, and deodorant are all desperately needed. Drop items off at select McCain's Auto Group locations or at the Sportsnet studios. For a full list of addresses, head to sportsnet.ca slash 960. Can we just play the song the whole time? We should. Yeah. Probably be a lot easier to listen to than us. Probably. Probably. Checks out. I like this song. This is this the best Christmas song of all time? I think it has to be, right? There's going to be some angry people, but 
Listen, it might be overplayed, but I think it's the best. All every Christmas song is overplayed. First of all, I love Christmas. Yeah, you'd heard. I, nice I, sweater, by the way. Thank you. I got my Barbie Christmas sweater on. I <laughs> yeah. love this thing. But I have a hard time with some Christmas music, and it might be because I've heard Explain. it so many times. I can listen to this multiple times a day. And we we tried to sing it a little bit. I'm glad you didn't turn my mic on there, but uh, you want to yeah. give the people a taste? No, I no, think I'm don't. good. I think <laughs> okay. I'm good. I don't really have a beautiful voice, so no, I don't say that. I don't. I do not, but this song is fantastic. It's all right. It is that time of year. Why not play a little Mariah Carey? But uh, let's get down to business here, Shan. Yeah. All right? Enough goofing off. Yep. We only got a couple minutes. Okay. But we're going to do the Team Canada, uh, not Team Canada, the Canadian Team Power Rankings. Done this with Patty Dumas a few times over the last couple of weeks, but uh, not much has changed since the last time we've done this. But uh, coming in at number seven. It's a team that I thought was going to be a team to watch in the Eastern Conference, actually, but a lot of outside distractions, some off-ice distractions, some coaching issues with this team. It's gone. It's the Ottawa Senators, and they're a team that that should be a lot better than what they are. I know George was kind of mentioning a couple days ago that he thinks that Tim Stutzla should have been a little bit better this season from what he's been, but I, I think he's actually been pretty good. He's got like 20-plus assists on the year. I know you probably want a bit more goal production out of him, but Brady Kachuk has been good. I have liked some of the contracts that, that Ottawa has done with some of their younger players locking up that core for, yeah. for a lot of time, but it, it's just puzzling that this team has been this bad to start the year. A yeah. team that I think that would have had playoff aspirations. I understand that they've played the least amount of games in the NHL, but I thought the Sens were going to be a lot better than what they were this year. To see, I, I'm there in my seventh spot as well. Obviously, mm-hmm. to see them third last in the league when I, I had I had them in the playoffs. I did a I did a full predictions where I saw the table. I had them in the playoffs because I really like the Senators team, and I agree with you. The contracts, like the Sanderson one, I really I like what they're doing. I don't think people realize how much this team is missing Shane Pinto because when you don't have that third yeah. center locked up. He was going to be your young third center, second line center of the future. And they didn't have a contract going. And then obviously this this betting suspension that happened. This is really ugly for the Senators. And I really do think they're missing Shane Pinto a lot. Do you think Jacques Martin is the right fit there for Not what this team is? For the, pre- the For the time being, but I don't think Why? he should be the long-term guy because... He is that old-school style of coach. This is a very young team, but they clearly got away with a lot with DJ Smith, and I loved how they added uh, Daniel Alfredson. There was, I don't know if you saw the clip with, with Kastelik uh, coming back to the bench after a pretty rough shift, and Alfredson ripped him. He really ripped him. no question him. that Alfredson is being groomed to be the next head coach of the Senators. Oh, definitely. I, I, just, I don't think Jacques Martin is, is the guy going forward um, in, in the long term. Listen, he's 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 an older an older coach, and it's pretty obvious that that's not the way of the new NHL. And and some of the younger guys, whether you like it or not, they might not be able to handle that. Like it it that's just it's a very young team. I can't see it working out with a guy like Tim Stutzla. If that I think Brady Kachuk sure, could do well maybe. under under him, but um, yeah. I'll, I'll push back on that sure. a little bit. I'm somewhat in agreement with you. I, I I do think a coach like Jacques Martin does have a bit of a a shelf life or an expiry date, kind of yeah. similar to what we saw here in Calgary with Daryl Sutter and how, how the players really pushed back on, on that approach and all that. But I think when you're dealing with a young team that hasn't learned how to win yet, I'm not sure if a coach like DJ Smith or some other candidates out there that are, are looking for a job like Jay Woodcroft are necessarily the right guy for that because okay. 
I'll use the Vancouver Canucks as an example. I think Rick Tockett is an excellent coach, and he's kind of that old-school, general, tough-on-his-players type type coach. And, he practice hard. Yeah, and I think that has been one of the biggest reasons, you know, coupled with the fact that Vancouver's getting excellent production out, uh, production out of their top players. I think the structure that Tockett has put for that team and kind of cleaned up a lot of those off-ice issues that the Canucks organization was having a year prior is a big reason why they're a dominant team and probably going to top both of our power rankings here. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Yeah. But that that's kind of where I'm at with Jacques Martin and how he can kind of cultivate a bit more of a winning culture in Ottawa and kind of teach these younger guys how to win. Yeah, listen, he's a great coach, and he, he's all-time leader for the, for the Senators. He's uh, – and I like when you brought up Rick Tockett there because I think the difference, though, between these two teams, obviously the Senators frustrated with how they're playing. The Canucks have been very frustrated with their play of late, and you have guys like JT Miller. We saw how frustrated he got last year, and Elias Patterson is ready to win. He's showing that with his play. So, yeah, I think those are the differences. I see more of a... I'll call them a little more experienced, the Canucks are, but they... Just look hungry, and I don't see that from the Senators. Number six, I got a bit of a top uh, toss-up here. Do you want to go Canadians or Oilers at six? I'm going Oilers. Uh, okay, I'd, I'd probably agree. Why? Why do you got Oilers at six? Well, I, I don't. I don't have the Habs at six because I, I see them playing really well together, and yeah. they're having some guys step up. And the and reason you can't I've got, say the same about the Oilers. No, it's just, it's just about a couple guys at the top leading the charge. Yeah, if if McDavid and Drysaddle don't get points, you don't win. Period. That's just that's how it is. Their bottom six is really bad this year, and they thought Connor Brown was going to be their guy, and he doesn't have a goal, so yeah, oh, that's God. not good. He has one point in twenty games. I know, I know, and and you know you feel for the guy, but Sam Gagne is playing on their third line now. He's like their best bottom six guy, <laughs> and I don't like how old is Sam? I'm going to search this up. I don't know how old Sam Gagne is, but. This it's, is his third stint with the Edmonton Oilers. He's 34. Like, have you heard his nickname they have for him there? No. He's Papa Oiler. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I like that. I remember being a, a kid and like, oh, Sam Gagne just lit the flames up. Like, it's, he's he's a he's a good player, but he's 34. And he, he didn't even start the year with the team. He's in the AHL. So for him to be your top bottom six guy, I mean, good for him for stepping up. But this is not a guy that you can lean on. And do we have to talk about the goaltending? I think we all know how that's going. Jack Campbell is now the backup in the AHL, and Stuart Skinner's uh, not playing that great. Like it's, that's why I've got the Oilers at six here. You know, I I don't. I'm in agreement there. I could see them making the playoffs. I could. The Oilers, yeah. They have so much talent, well, top end talent, but they got to go on a run here. I just don't think like they beat the Kings a couple years in a row. Uh huh. If they somehow have to play the Kings in the first round, it's over. Yeah. Uh, at five, you get Montreal Canadiens. That we're gonna go here. You, you could put the Flames there as well. I, I'm going to put Montreal. I, sure. I think they have been playing uh, a bit above expectations for what they are at Cole Caulfield having a good year. Sean Monaghan looking like a great trade asset yeah. for them. I just feel like they're a couple of years away, and they're kind of anything they get from this team this year has been a bonus. I think St. Louis has really settled into being a coach in the National Hockey League, oh, yeah. and I think he's uh, going to be one of the premier coaches that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of years. I think that you know, he was he's a Hall of Fame player, thinks the game at a super high level, knows how to win. That that's kind of where I'm at with uh, the Montreal Canadiens. I'm I'm curious to see what they'll do moving forward, what they're going to do with Sean Monahan or even some of their goaltending pieces. They locked up uh, Montebo as their goaltender of the future. 
kind of getting back to the Oilers there, they're probably going to be making a call on Jake Allen, or I'm not sure what they can do goaltending-wise, but that, that's kind of my general thoughts on, on the Canadians. Well, and I think the Flames and the Habs right now are interchangeable based on what your view of power rankings is, really. I just see the Habs playing well together. Sure. I, I don't think this team is making the playoffs. I really don't. Um, they have talent, for sure, and Sean Monaghan's playing really well, but you're right. I think he's going to be a trade piece. And listen, I we can talk about that trade they made with the Flames. I'm pretty sure they did a good job there um, getting getting that first pick there. So I, I, I the way the Habs are playing, they've got a good mix of, of some young guys and some veterans. I I, one guy I'm looking forward to in the future, this is a little off topic, is David Reinbacher. I think he's going to be an awesome defenseman in this league. Uh, they got him with the fifth pick. But, yeah, I've, I've got the ha- uh, the Flames at my sixth spot just because. I Like you said, they can be interchangeable. If yeah. I'm just looking at the Canadian schedule as of late, I, I just think that the Flames' schedules have been a bit more tougher. Yeah, for sure. And, and the Flames have dictated some some pace and some some play in most of those games, even though they ended up being on the wrong side of, of a lot of those. But, so. That that's why I would kind of flop the Flames. You yep. you could go either way with that, but Calgary Flames coming in at my uh, number four spot in the Canadian team rankings. Um, I feel like we keep saying this about this Calgary Flames team, and what is their ceiling this season? Matt and Peter Klein were talking about it earlier on today on the Big Show in hour one, and they were saying, "Is the ceiling kind of just being in the murky middle again with with this team?" and uh that might not be the worst thing for this season itself because I think there is going to be a lot of change coming with with moving some of these pending UFAs. So if they do finish around that middle of the pack, but you're you're getting younger and maybe even get a chance to get some playoff experience for some of those younger players, I don't think that's the worst as long as you kind of move off of this this core that simply isn't working for Calgary right now. The the ceiling is wild card one, the, which is. Yeah, somewhat in the murky middle. I, I see them getting around, you know, around pick thirteen to seventeen this year, and uh, we've seen that a lot with the, with the Flames. They they have some good players. They really do, and they have some decent depth. I I don't doubt that. I just I don't see how they win around against these teams. Like like you make the wild card one, you play a team like you play a team like Vancouver, L.A. Vegas, Winnipeg, Colorado, or Dallas, good luck. We we talked about this before. The only team I see them maybe beating is the Jets, and the Jets are picking it up too. Yep. I I really, I, it, you know, I, I think anytime you get playoffs here in Calgary, it's awesome. The the, the sea of red during the, the playoffs, it, it's an electric time. It really is. I just don't know if they're winning around here. Quickly before we go here, get to the top three. I got my Leafs in my three. Absolutely, they've been six, one, and three over the last uh, ten games. Still looking for a bit more depth scoring out of some players out in Toronto. There, it's been a lot of those core four or five players for them. Nylander leading the way with forty-one points. Matthew thirty-seven. Uh, Marner's got thirteen goals on the year. He's got thirty-four points. Then it's Tavares and Riley, and then it drops off considerably. There, yeah. Morgan Riley has twenty-two points, leading all Blue Liners for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Then it's Max Domi, an off-season signing they made. Yeah, he's been all right. He's got yeah. two goals, fifteen assists on the year. But uh, I feel like they're definitely wanting a bit more out of that signing as well as the Bertuzzi signing. Yeah, definitely. It's it's hard when you're n- like Domi did really well in the Blackhawks when he was getting top-line minutes. I, I, I think Domi's one of the better playmakers in this game. I was actually shocked to see how good of a playmaker he was with that that lowly Chicago team. 
Bertuzzi was really good in Detroit, and I thought he was a good fit in Boston. It's it's not going as planned here in Toronto, and I think Toronto's biggest problem right now is goaltending. Like Joseph Wall's hurt, Samsonov has been a problem. He has he's actually been a problem, and they've got Jones uh, getting some minutes now. I, I this Leafs team should be better. They have way too much talent. Matthews is literally on pace for seventy three goals, seventy three goals, and they sh- they're not top of our our rankings right now. So. Yeah, that, that's definitely the issue. It's it's definitely not going to be the offensive production that you're going to talk about when it comes to issues for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But uh, number two, I got the Winnipeg Jets. Yep. I think, what what else can you say about them? They've just been consistent all season long, having some good seasons out of uh, Mark Scheifele, who's been having a bit of a career resurgence. He's their leading scorer, 34 points. Kyle Connor got off to a red-hot start goal-scoring-wise. Yeah. Uh, goal had that bad knee-on-knee knee a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, or might have been even been a month ago, but... He's slowed down a little bit. He's only gotten into 26 games this season. He's got 17 goals. But the biggest thing about the Winnipeg Jets is that they're giving a little bit of rest to Connor Hallibuck, yeah. and that's going to be huge for them come April. Well, they've relied on him for so many years now, and there, there's talks about there were talks about him getting traded before the season. I really, I, I do think they're happy with 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 that. And Kyle Connor not playing right now, and I thought they were going to drop off, and they've actually picked it up a little bit. First of all, I think it's finally time to say they fleeced the Kings in that trade. Velarde's been awesome for them. Yeah. And and Ayafalo's also a, a good player for them. Like he's he's on their top power play unit now. The with- thing with the Kings though on that trade is that they already have so much center depth. Yeah. Is that PLD can kind of get just slotted into that third line slot. I know it's a big cap hit for a for a third line center and all that, but the Kings have a bit of a luxury to the fact that they can kind of hide his you know, inefficiencies to what he's been as his first season as a king. Right? Yeah, and I know it's it's far down the road, but a few years from now, when 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 Kopitar retires, if he yeah. if he retires in the next ten years, I don't know, I can't tell. But once he's gone, and you want to rely on, they might move Byfield to the middle then, though. Yeah, but he's been so good on the wing. He's been so good on the wing that it. You be just hard hope, to put but you just back. hope by then that he's become super solid NHL or one of the key pieces to your franchise maybe yeah. even the face of your franchise alongside adrian kempe over there but that that's kind of where i'm at with the kings that m- maybe byfield can turn into that first line center he's he's kind of been a lot better as peter and matt talked with dennis yeah. bernstein about kind of previewing the kings but yeah I, i've like i've liked him a lot i really have and so we both have our uh, the canucks, canucks are number one, one. yeah that's yeah. they they have top end talent top end goaltending and they're playing like a complete team. I didn't expect this. I yeah. really didn't. Uh, I The Canucks are really impressive, and I think they've established themselves as a contender. I don't think Brock Besser can keep up the 60-goal the scoring pace, whatever he's on, but he's got a chance for 40 this year. He, he really does. Just more than enough out of Brock Besser, oh. a guy who the, the Canucks were talking about trading last season. He, he's been the scapegoat for a few years. Yeah. And I, I it's, good, it's good to see Brock Besser... Getting his flowers now. I, I, I'm I'm super impressed with what he's done and that power play. I do not want to see the Canucks on a power play if I'm facing them. That's it's just like what do you do? Quinn Hughes, no. Leas Pettersson, JT Miller, Brock Besser. Is JT Miller underrated or is he just a power play? He's merchant? always been underrated. Yeah, or he or, gets shorthanded points too. Yeah, sure, he plays on the peak. I I, I really like JT Miller. Um, you can question his attitude all you want. I just as a player, he is an awesome player. Uh, and that's a, that's the kind of guy you want on your team because his goal is to win, period. There you go. That's our Canadian power rankings for all seven Canadian teams in the National Hockey League. That's going to wrap us up here on today's program. 
What do we got going on here on the station? It's a Calgary Flames game day puck drop. Flames and Ducks at 8 o'clock. Steinberg will have the pregame show at 7. I'm sure he'll have a whole bunch more when he opts on the airwaves at 4 o'clock for Flames Talk. Thanks to everyone who listened. Thanks to everyone who downloads the podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.